Lily Cornell, Bethany Cornell. Let me just hand straight over to Dave. Okay, thank you, Martin. Just as I begin, I would love you, if you don't mind, to uh, just close your eyes for a minute. As I was preparing, and even this morning, I felt that God really wanted to speak this morning to uh, some people for whom there's something about your birth certificate being a source of sadness. And that's either linked to the place, the position, or the people that you were born into in this world. Something to do with either the place, or the family, or the position that you were born into. I also felt that there were uh, people that God was really wanting to speak to um, where you feel it's almost impossible to, um, to like shake off the, uh, the backdrop and the, the reputation and the consequences of your life before you came to know Christ. And actually there's been a difficulty in feeling a sense of belonging with other believers because you don't feel good enough. And thirdly, uh, for Christian believers who've uh, done their best to, to follow God and have seen things not work out how they anticipated and, and know that they've made mistakes, that sense of feeling that you're a disappointment to God and feeling that you're not good enough as a Christian. Okay, open your eyes. Before the meeting, Liz May shared with me that she'd had a dream of Barnabas and she saw like tongues of fire, a very scriptural picture, tongues of fire coming down from heaven and resting upon different people's heads. And so it's my prayer this morning that there is an impartation of God this morning as his word comes alive that comes down on individuals' heads. I'm not limiting the response to what I've just shared with you, but if you're in any of those categories where something of that resonates with you, I'd love you to be all ears over the next half an hour or so, and then we're going to pray together. Last week, we were looking at the big picture of Father God through the ages. We saw his work as Father In creation, we saw his revealing himself as father to the nation of Israel. And we heard about how he reveals himself as father through what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has made a way for us to be called children of God. So it's almost like last week we were looking at the whole swathe of history from before creation until the future. This sort of landscape of the Bible and seeing that God is Father. Whereas today's quite different. Because today's about you. And it's about the people sitting next to you. And it's about me. Today, we're talking about our adoption as Christian believers and what it means. We've just sung the song, haven't we? Father God, I wonder how I managed to exist without the knowledge of your parenthood and your loving care. Now I am your son. I am adopted in your family and I can never be alone because Father God 
you're there beside me. I'm not sure there's a better song in that generation of worship. And it was for that reason that I took that song on as my bedtime song when I had small children. And so uh, every night for ages, I used to sing that song to Joy until she got big enough to decide which song that she wanted to choose before she went to bed. And she now almost always chooses Shine Jesus Shine. So uh, my wife asked me, why on earth did you teach her that song? And it's like, well, she was born to a dad who grew up in the 80s. There's got to be uh, some, some things that you live with. And I still sing Father God, I Wonder to Zach every night before he goes to bed. Well, I say that. I didn't one night when he said, I don't like Father God and hit me in the face. Um, I would say that I think that was more a reference to my singing and his tiredness than his view of God, just uh, in defence. But let's not relegate that song to the bookshelf of kids' songs. Possibly more than any other song we have in our language on the subject, this captures in a beautiful way what we're going to be discussing today. And if we are the adopted sons of God, how will that affect us? How we relate to God? And what does the world around us look like if we look at it through a lens of being adopted by a loving Father in heaven. These are themes that Paul explores in Romans and Galatians, so we're just going to read some of those scriptures. We're in Romans 8 to start with from verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Galatians 4 and from verse 4, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are a child, God has also made you an heir. Adopted child heir. The titles of our three talks. You can see where we got it from now. And in some ways, I'm going to go on tiptoes looking at this subject because I'm trying desperately to not steal any material from the two talks that, uh, that Helen is bringing. But first of all, as we look at these verses, I want to put to you the role of the Trinity in our salvation. The Father sent his Son to fulfill the perfect law. We, we heard about that last week. And then it's the Spirit who speaks to our hearts. It's the Spirit who reveals Christ to us. It's the Spirit who's sealed on our hearts when we come to faith. And then it's the Spirit who cries out 
to Father that we can approach him because of what Jesus has done. You see such an amazing work of the the community, if you like, of the Trinity in us being saved. The Father sends the Son, the Spirit comes to us, and it's the Spirit who calls out to Father through what the Son has done. And I think there's quite a clue here about how um, sometimes it it really quite genuinely feels like when we're worshipping God together and experiencing God together, there's that sense of drawing close to him. In uh, 1 Corinthians 3.17, it says this about the Spirit. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You're being transformed into the image of God. There's this sense that the Holy Spirit is drawing us deeper and deeper into an understanding and an experience and a knowledge of who God is. And as we draw close to God and as we experience him, there seems to be an acceleration in how we can reflect who he is in our lives. We're not talking about some kind of external emotional response because we're all having a sing-song together. But there's a sense by which as we draw close and the Holy Spirit is working in us, it's the Holy Spirit, it's God himself who's crying out, Abba, Father. It's the Holy Spirit crying out in us and drawing us close to God. There's our head knowledge of what we know about God, but there's also this sense of the Spirit working in our hearts and doing something and crying out. And I would imagine that if the Holy Spirit was in us crying out, then that would be something that we could feel. That would be something that we could experience. So we're not looking for some um, really like shallow emotional experience, but we are looking for something that actually feels like something Because God is working. And in our Father Heart Day at the end of the month, one of the things we're going to be doing is we're going to be worshipping together. We're going to be uh, inviting um, Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. And there's going to be teaching, so there's going to be truth. But there's also going to be an opportunity, we pray, for encounter and to see some of the, the freedom in our lives that Holy Spirit brings. I've certainly found that in my own relationship with God... Um, sometimes I've had like really what felt like powerful encounters with God at the time and almost like struggled to maintain what had happened. And at other times I've learned sort of fantastic truth about God, but I've struggled to put it into practice. And so during this series, what we're trying to do is go for the best of the absolute truth of what we know about God and us, and also the best of the opportunity we have to encounter him. And at the end of this meeting, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and for people who want to respond, that you would encounter God even this morning. Okay, so we're back to Galatians now. And uh, there are Two words in the original language um, that are used in the New Testament especially. And uh, one of them means child and one of them means son. 
And uh, in this passage, we, we see the word that's used is translated as son. And there's a really powerful point being made here because Paul is trying to uh, include and um, prioritize the idea that these children are also going to be heirs. In those days, it was the norm for only sons to inherit from their fathers. So the word son actually has a weight of meaning. It's not meant to be gender specific. It's a metaphor because it's taking the Jewish culture of what a son would have and be and it's imparting it onto all believers. This is an issue that I faced going back to my children's bedtime routine and I'm singing a beautiful worship song of Father God I Wonder to my daughter. And it says, now I am your son. I am adopted in your family. Do I change the words as some do? And I completely understand that to now I am your child. But I decided not to. And I decided not to because one day I'd like Joy to ask me why that song says, now I am your son. And it's at that point that I want to be able to explain that even in a culture in those days where it would have been detrimental in some ways by modern standards to have been born a girl, even with massive cultural barriers in that society of being a woman, the gospel of Jesus so turns things on their heads that the truth of her adoption in God is that she's now seen as though a firstborn son in a Jewish family. Our non-Jewish little girl in Shrewsbury is given the value of a firstborn son in ancient Jewish culture. And all these societal barriers and cultural barriers and all this stuff about who you are and where you're from and what your nationality is and what your gender is and what your language is, all of that gets turned upside down and each and every person who follows Jesus receives the rights as though a firstborn son in an ancient Jewish family. It is for men and women, the children of God. In the UK, there are three things that happen when an adoption order has been granted. And I'm just going to read this. The adoption becomes permanent. You get an adoption certificate. This will show the child's new name and it replaces the original birth certificate. The child then has the same rights as if they were your own birth child, including the right of inheritance. The original birth certificate is replaced. It's destroyed and a new birth certificate is issued. The actual birth certificate, the history, is changed. And this is a wonderful representation of what happens when we are adopted by God. On the old birth certificate, under Father, it said Adam. Adam who sinned and as a result was separated from God. That certificate has been destroyed forever. Our new birth certificate says that God is our Father which means that all the problems of the old family 
and the destiny of the old family are no longer our inheritance in the future. The British Association for Adoption and Fostering, that's quite a mouthful, isn't it? I looked at the acronym and I think it's BAFAF, so I don't think that helps us either. They explain the process like this. An adopted child loses all legal ties with their first mother and father and becomes a full member of the new family, usually taking the family's name. So if you're adopted, you've become a full member of this new family and your birth parents are no longer legally your parents anymore. Adam, sin, separation from God, feeling outside of God is no longer our family. It's no longer our identity or our destiny. The big question that throws up for each and every one of us, do our lives reflect most our old birth certificate or our new birth certificate? The way we can change that is by continually, regularly, and wholeheartedly drawing close to our Father. Adoption is also a really amazing truth of the Christian faith because it has in itself a very clear sense of being chosen. Now, biological parents can choose to have a child, but you don't get to choose which child you have in any sense of the word. You don't even get to choose whether you have a boy or a girl. You've got no idea, really. I mean, sure, people have a go at guessing, don't they? Have you had that? Those of you who've had children? Everyone starts guessing, don't they? Oh, I always thought she was going to be a girl. I'm sure it's a girl. Oh, you're big, aren't you? Oh, it's going to be a boy. It's going to be a boy. Oh, in our family, we all have girls. We all do. Do you know what you're having yet? Yep, we're having a baby. Go away. I don't quite mean that. And then the time finally arrives and baby arrives. And then suddenly it's, oh, what a surprise. I can't believe it's a girl. I was sure it was going to be a boy. What a shock. You've had a baby. I never expected that. <laughs> I don't want to burst your bubble here, people who enjoy guessing the gender of babies. But it is basically 50-50, right? It is. And that's why you get it right about half the time. Yeah? It is just percentages. It really is. And so I would encourage you. It should never be a surprise. How can it possibly be a surprise? I mean, it'd only really be a surprise if they did something like really out of the ordinary, like gave birth to a unicorn or something. That would, that would be a surprise. That would be a shock. But a boy... Or a girl, we have no control. There's some people struggling with that mental image now, so just <laughs> leave it right there. Leave it right there. You can't choose which baby you have. It just kind of happens. Adoptive parents, on the other hand, 
have absolute choice over which child they adopt. Now, a lot of people will adopt babies, so they might not really know what the child is going to be like, but they certainly know um, gender, and they'll know um, about uh, race and skin colour. They'll know if the child has a disability, that sort of things. But if you adopt a child who's a little bit older, then you know a lot more about them. What chance would an older child with lots of bad habits and destructive behaviours, what chance would they have of actually being adopted? Because that is who we were. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, that is who we were. We had bad habits and destructive behaviours. And then we were adopted as children of God. God had a choice and he chose you. God had a choice and he chose you. There are no accidents in God's family. There's there's no surprises. There's no unplanned or unwanted children. God knew us. Psalm 139 from verse 2. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways before a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. And still God chose us. And we may ask ourselves, well, how can God really love me? What about all these ways I've messed up and the hurts that I carry and the guilt I feel, the people I've hurt? God knew your junk when he chose you, when he first loved you. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says three times, your father who sees what's done in secret. God also knows the things that we do in private, the things we do when the doors are locked the things we think in the privacy of our own heads. And on the one hand, that could be terrifying. But on the other hand, that's completely liberating. Because I don't need to pretend with God. He knows exactly how I feel and exactly how I fail. If we were going to have to try and earn and win our salvation back to God, we'd kind of somehow have to trick him into thinking we were better than we were. We'd have to kind of sneak around, hoping that he wouldn't discover the real us. And yet God knows the real us. And he chose us. And he adopted us into his family because he loves us. Now I'm sorry that there's quite a lot of uh, children and baby talk going on today. It's partly to do with the subject, uh, as I'm sure you'll appreciate. But going back to the baby thing again. Babies are really cute and everything. I quite like them. But there's a stage where a baby kind of doesn't really do a lot. Well, except there's one thing that it does a lot of. And uh, I don't know how to put this best, really. Well, in our household, we called the call to go and change one of those nappies, we called it a code brown. Okay? So that is how you would know what was happening. And suddenly, from being a normal, rational human being, having normal conversation, 
suddenly it becomes quite acceptable to talk about how many and what kind of code browns have happened during the day. The consistency, the colour, the frequency, and the horrible moment that you get some on your hands. That becomes normal. But I've got a question for you. Parents, no matter how long ago it was, when your little bundle was crying and squawking, and you went up to it, and you realised that the code brown wasn't just confined to its nappy, but was through two layers of clothes and all over its cot sheets. At that moment, did you love them any less? Of course not. You pick them up, and you wipe them down, and you clean them up, and you comforted them, and you put them back down to rest. Because you love them. So why, oh why, oh why, would us, as spiritual children, start to think that God would stop loving us or, or almost shun us, even if we have made a complete mess of our situation? And human parents, they don't just clean up their child once either. They do it again and again and again and again and again and again. No parent goes, what? You have to change this nappy more than once? (gasps) Who knew? It just doesn't happen. In our lives, things have happened and we've done stuff that's dirtied us. And God, as a loving parent, comes and wipes it away. And he restores us, and he makes us clean, and he reveals the beautiful child. And if we mess up again, then we come back to God again, and he cleans us up again. And right the way through that, he always loves us, because he chose us. But he doesn't want us to stay making a mess of everything. What God wants for us, what he desires for us, is maturity. And growing up, and as spiritual babies grow and develop, there should be less and less moments of cleaning up to do because they've grown and they have developed. Children adopted at a very young age often adapt quite quickly into their new family compared to ones who are adopted when they are older. In fact, there's a certain age after which it's very difficult to get adoptive placements for children. By a certain age, you've been shaped by your birth family. Much of your personality has developed. Your attitudes, your habits, your morals, and your character have been shaped. Many of us experience our adoption from Father God at an age where a lot of our development beforehand has already happened. So there might be quite a lot of things that need to be unlearned. And changes that need to be made. That might be why we spend more more time looking back at what it was to be part of Adam's family than looking forward to what it means to be part of God's family. We're going to be looking at that more over the next couple of weeks. But to finish now, I want to give you two pictures of sonship. 
and then I'd love to pray. In the parable of the prodigal son, we hear a story of a son who goes off and squanders his father's wealth and he ends up in a mess and he returns home. And as he returns home, he's happy to just live with the servants because he knows that he's made such a mess of things. And yet his father runs out to greet him and embraces him. And he gives him three things. He gives him a robe, a ring, and some sandals, some shoes. I just want to look at those three things. As you consider being adopted by your father in heaven, I want you to consider these three things. In having the best robe placed on him, the father was telling the prodigal son, as well as everyone else around, that his position as a son was secure. It was a demonstration of his approval, wearing the uniform, wearing the robe of the family, brought him great protection and great belonging. The ring, presenting a ring to someone, was a symbol of being placed in an office of authority. In Genesis 1, Pharaoh removes his ring and gives it to Moses when he, no, Moses, Joseph, when installing him into office. In the book of Esther, the king took off his ring and he gives it to Mordecai. That's in Esther 8. The ring taken off the hands of father places the authority of father into the hands of the son. And then the sandals, the prodigal returns home with nothing because he's wasted all of the opportunity and inheritance that he had. He doesn't even have shoes on. The only people without shoes would be slaves or servants. It shows his destitution. So his father comes and says, I won't have a son of mine without the provision that they need. So he provides shoes. Identity, authority and provision given by a loving father, to a son who did nothing to deserve it, but still receives the full love of father. Now, if you were the father in that story, at what point would you have handed those things over to the son? What do you reckon? About seven years of good behavior in the family, and then you might have thought of trusting him again? He hadn't even made it through the gate. And he received the full authority, provision, and identity of Father. A final parable, Matthew 21. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and said, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, his son answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. The other son answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? Now, this is really challenging. Jesus is saying that what we do is more important than what we say. God isn't just interested in our verbal response, but our behavioral response. If we're called to work in our father's vineyard, what is our response to him? And there seems to be this sort of distinction between the, uh, the son who initially kind of 
doesn't seem very enthusiastic, but eventually kind of falls into line. And the son who's really like, yay, this is amazing, and then doesn't actually do it. When I reflect on this parable to living out our adoption, I think it can be so easy to say, yeah, I understand that, I agree, I know this, this is all basic, we've sung these songs since we were kids, it's so basic. But then not actually live it out on a day-by-day basis. This parable is encouraging us to not be people who are quick to speak, but slow to act. And I think there's been many times in my own life, personally, where I've been quick to speak about God being my father, but slow to act like his son. I'd still be yearning for his approval, worrying in case I let him down. And in doing that, that made me compare myself with other people and become quite judgmental, as well as carrying a sense of guilt and feelings of inadequacy. That's quite a combination, isn't it? Actually, the answer to that was drawing close to and encountering the love of a perfect father in heaven, whose approval, whose provision, whose identity, and whose authority has been given to me because he chose to, because he loved me. Okay, we're going to draw to a close now. I'd just like to read some finishing statements. You are adopted and you've been chosen. God knew who you were and what you are and he chose you. While God loves you just the way you are, he wants to pick you up and clean you down and make you clean. As we grow in this new family, We grow closer in character and temperament and attitude to our Father in heaven as we know more about him and as we experience more of him. Let's never get those two out of balance. And I just want to return now to what I said at the beginning about people with the birth certificate and the circumstances surrounding your birth, a sense of your old life hanging over you, or a sense in your Christian walk of feeling like you're not good enough. I believe now that as we respond to God, we're going to see some real truth coming alive that brings freedom. Could the musicians come forward? And I would love an opportunity to pray.